0: Good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good, good morning. So glad to see all of you today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And, you know, me and Ricky were talking earlier about how every day is a gift. And we tend to view life as, "Oh, I have you know 30 more years. I have, i we just..." Well, no, we don't have that guarantee in this life. And so every day we have to appreciate. And savor and thank God for and wake up and say, God I'm going to celebrate and be glad that you made me I'm going to choose a positive mindset I'm going to choose to look for you God give me eyes to see you ears to hear you a heart to believe what you promised me hands to do what you call me to do, feet to go where you call me to go, and a mouth to say what you called me to say please help me to put on the helmet of salvation today, the breastplate of righteousness today Please help me to be shod with the readiness to share the gospel of peace. Please help me to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible. Please help me to take up the shield of faith with which the flaming arrows of the enemy are extinguished. God, I'm putting all of that on today. Today, I'm going to be intentional about seeking you, loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. And I can't think of a better day to do all of that than today. Because tomorrow is gone, it's over. Tomorrow here is not promised. Today is here. So let's wake up. Wake up like the Bible says, O sleeper, rise and Christ will shine his light on you. Let's not take today for granted. But if you will, bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord God, Everywhere we go, you're with us. But God, right now, we're in church. We're awake. We're with our brothers. We're with our sisters in Christ. God, we take that for granted. We get to worship you together. We get to encourage each other. We get to speak truth into each other's lives. We get to have people who love each other enough to tell each other the truth in love, God. That was your idea. And because it was your vision, we get to experience it, Lord. I pray, God, that as we read your word, that we will hear from you today. That, God, you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit, which you have not withheld from us, but that you've poured out on us. God, we are so grateful. We're so thankful, Lord. Please help us every day. To are closer and closer to you. And I pray, God, that we will not leave this service like having wrestled with you. Just as Jacob said, I will not leave until you bless me, Lord. God, we will wrestle with you until we receive from you what we know you want to give us, Lord. But please help us to not be passive. Please help us to be proactive, to seek you. We will find you when we seek you with all our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you. I pray that you'll speak through me today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. We're practically on the last page of the Old Testament, we're in the last book of the Old Testament. But Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. So it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, as you know, we're in a series right now called Asking for a Friend. And essentially what we're doing in this series is we're admitting that there are questions that we have that we're embarrassed to ask, but we're vocalizing them. We're saying, okay, hey, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. We're all asking these questions, so let's just bring them out in the open and talk about them together. Now, of course, for those of you, you know, I know that all of you have been going to church for a long time, what do we have? We have offering plates here and there. You know, we we have them up here because of COVID. Before that, we would pass them around and you would put, what, what would you put in there? Your gum? No, you put your tithes in the offering plate. But surely you must have asked yourself at some point, like I've asked myself at one point, why? Why are we doing this? Why does God want me to tithe? Why does God want me to give him my money? Does does God really need my money? Why do we tithe? Why does God want my money? Well, before we get into why God wants us to tithe, let's go into what a tithe is in the first place. What is a tithe? Well, that word tithe, in the Hebrew, it literally means tenth. Whenever you see that word, it just means a tenth. And so even Jacob, Jacob, when he first decides to follow the Lord, what does he say? He says, Lord, I will give you a tenth, a tithe of everything that I have. All of my income, I'll give you at least a tenth of it. I'm not saying we're limited to a tenth, but we should be giving at least a tenth of all we have to the Lord. Now, in the law, let's fast forward to when Moses received the law for Israel, the law commanded all of the Israelites to tithe. Every Israelite was meant to give a tenth of their income to the temple treasury. Now, the reason that they did this was to support the temple, to support the priests, and to support the Levites. Remember, the Levites are the tribe that helps with the temple, And so the Levites are not meant to earn their own money. The Levites are meant to get all of their support from the tithes of the people. And even the tithes that they receive, they're meant to give 10% of that tithe to the temple treasury. So everybody, no matter how rich you are or how poor you are, is giving what? 10%. At least a tenth of your entire income. Now, remember, we've talked about this a lot before. One of the most seismic and huge events in the Bible was when the Israelites were carried off into exile into Babylon. So much of the Bible is warning the Israelites that that's going to happen. And so much of the Bible is about them being in exile. And so much of the Bible is about them coming home from exile. Now the books Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible, they're particularly about when the Israelites come back home after being in Babylon in exile for about 70 years, like the Lord told them they would be. And when they came back home from Babylon, where was their temple? It wasn't there. It was destroyed. The Babylonians burned it and destroyed it. So what did they have to do? They had to rebuild the temple. And so that's what they did. They rebuilt the temple. And when it was finally rebuilt, they said, this is great, the temple's rebuilt. We don't know the law. We don't know how this temple system works. So Ezra came from Babylon. He was an expert in the law. And he read the entire law to the people of Israel gathered together in Jerusalem at the temple. And they made a commitment. They recommitted to the law. And this is what they said in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 37 through 39. This is what they said. We will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priest, the first of our ground mill, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe, a tenth, of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God That was their commitment. We'll give a tenth of all our income. Why? To support and maintain the house of our God. We won't neglect it, except for the fact that they did neglect it. How do we know that they neglected it? Because we have the book of Malachi. But even in the book of Nehemiah, even two chapters later, they neglected it. And Nehemiah rebuked them for that, and they started it back up again. But then, however long, we don't know exactly when Malachi lived when Malachi was written. He could have been at the same time as Ezra and Emi. He could have been years later. We don't know exactly. But what we do know is that they have failed to keep up their commitment that we just saw them give to tithe a tenth of their income. And so the reason that we're looking at our passage in Malachi today is because we know what they knew. We knew we should give a tithe We don't really always know why we should give that tithe. And I believe our passage today in Malachi helps us to see why we should give a tithe. And it's important that we know why, because when we know why, tithing can become, it can change from being a duty or even a burden, and it becomes a joy, something we're excited to join in on once we know why we're doing it. So why, according to our passage, do we and should we tithe? Well, the first reason from this passage that we see that we should tithe. We tithe so that we won't rob God. That sounds weird. But that's why we tithe, so that we won't rob God. And what I want to point your attention to first is verse 6. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, that is weird. Why Does he call them the descendants of Jacob? Throughout the Bible, God is constantly reminding them of their ancestors. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why doesn't God just say, oh, you're Israel? He says, your ancestor is Jacob. The reason he's doing that is because he's reminding them that they're not just a people They are his people. They're his people. And part of the reason they've neglected to tithe is because they've forgotten who they belong to and whose they are. But it's critical if they're going to tithe and if we're going to tithe, we have to see who we belong to. Now, what did God want his people to do? Well, he says it in verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now, how do we return to him? That's what they asked. How do we return to you? We said, well, bring the entire tithe, the entire offering, into the temple. Tithe. And we say, okay, I don't get it. How are those two related to each other? How... What does tithing have to do with returning to God? Well, think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, having just heard that, Why can't the Israelites give themselves fully to God? Why can't they give themselves to God? Because they've already given themselves to something else. Their money. Do you see that? They can't return to God because they refuse to leave what's holding them back from God. What I want you to see here is when we read passages like this, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people read this in kind of a bitter way. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. How, how could God say, will you rob me? God surely must not have meant that. God, he, he sounds kind of like a, someone in the mob coming to collect their money. Where is my money? Where is my money? Look, God is not saying, where's my money? God is saying, where are my people? Where is my child?" What we are ultimately robbing God of when we refuse to give him our tithe is not money, it's us. That's what we're robbing God of when we hold our money back from him. When we say, I'll give you all of myself, God, except my money. Then we haven't really given all of ourselves to the Lord like we said we have given all of ourselves to the Lord. Think about it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 23, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. In other words, he's kind of giving him a hint about who he's actually talking to. and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of times when we read a passage like that, we say, ooh, the problem is money. The problem must be money. Remember, Jesus didn't say that money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, money is not the root of all evil, but money can be a symptom of the root, of the real problem. The problem was not the money. There's a reason Jesus didn't go up to every single person that he talked to and said, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Hey you, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. No, Jesus didn't say that to everyone, but he said that to this person. Remember, everything Jesus says, he can. you can have the same problem. Two people can have a deep wound in the same place. Both will approach Jesus and he'll say something different to each one. Why? Because we all have different needs. Now, of course, we have the same need, the need for Jesus, but he helps us to get to him in different ways. And so each person is unique. So each person has the same problem, but it manifests itself in different ways is what I'm trying to say. So the problem was not the money. The problem was that the money had become an attachment that was doing what? was robbing this man from Jesus. Don't you see how his attachment to his money, it robbed God of what belonged to him? What did it say about this man? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus wanted him, not his money. He wanted him. But he said, choose God or choose money. I'll choose God. And remember what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one. Or love the other. But he won't love both because they require very different things of him. That they're at odds with each other. So the problem is his attachment to money. When I say that word attachment, another word that the Bible uses is the word idol. Idol, we see that all the time. We say, I don't have an idol problem. An idol's not just like a little wooden god you carry around. That would really be nice, because then we wouldn't have to worry about that in our culture. But no, it's more insidious than that. Even the Bible says, watch out for greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry is when you take something that might be a good thing, and you make it the very ultimate thing. You put it in the place where only God belongs. And that place is the throne of your heart to make a good thing into an ultimate thing. That's an idol. That's an attachment. And that's what this man had done with money. He said, I can't put you on the throne, Jesus, because I already have something on the throne. And his face fell. I'm not willing to take that off. I'm attached to it. Now, John Mark Homer, he defines attachments as the things we think we need to live a happy life. And he says, our attachments are what hold us back from life in God. This is why Jesus said it's so hard for the rich and happy to enter the kingdom. Not because wealth and a healthy life, or not because wealth and a happy life are bad, they aren't. But because very few of us can live with them and not need them. As the psychiatrist and spiritual director Gerald May summarized it, we want to be free. Compassionate and happy, but in the face of our attachments, we are clinging, grasping, and fearfully self absorbed. This is the root of our trouble this is the root of our trouble. so do you see money is not the root of our trouble, but can also it can often be a symptom our attachment to it can be a symptom of the problem. so what is the problem what 's the problem? Here's the problem. If there's anything in your life that you refuse to let go of and give to God, you don't have a hold on it. It has a hold on you. That's the problem. As long as there's anything in your life where you say, I cannot give that to God. You might think, I I can manage it. I can hold on to it. No, it's the other way around. It's got you in its grips. And God wants you you're saying, I can't get to you. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, let, let go of what's keeping you from eternal life. Mm, no. no, I can't imagine life without it. So I'm satisfied with staying in its grips and missing out on, obviously, what I really need. If, if it really satisfied me, I wouldn't be asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit real the actual eternal life. Anything that we hold back from God will hold us back from God. Do you see that? So that is why we tithe. So that we won't rob God. But it's not money that God's concerned about it. It's us. As long as we are attached to our money or anything else in life. As long as we're attached to it, we cannot give ourselves fully to God and therefore we rob God of what he wants most. Not our money. Us. Us. We tithe so that we won't rob God. But why else do we tithe? We tithe so that we can trust God. We tithe so that we can trust God. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, Bring the whole tithe Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now that is incredibly interesting because what did God just tell us to do? He told us to test him. This is the only place in the Bible where God tells us to test him. Actually, elsewhere in the Bible, it's forbidden to test the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you remember when Jesus quoted that to Satan? Man shall not put the Lord their God to the test. So, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And yet, Malachi, this passage, God just said, put me to the test. That doesn't add up. What does that mean? Well, what I want you to see is that the passage in Deuteronomy is talking about testing God by our sin. And the passage in Malachi, where God tells us to test him, is talking about testing God By our obedience. And you know what? Testing God by our sin doesn't take any trust. Testing God by our obedience takes complete and total trust. Now, believe me, I'm aware that what I said just washed over you because it sounded abstract. It's not something you can picture. So let me try to give you a picture of it that you can all relate to. So we've all been children, we've all had parents. And, you know, you've all, except for me, had kids. You know, So we've been on both sides of this. We've been the kid whose parents have said, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. We've been the parents that have said to your kid, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. Now, whenever my parents would say, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. Did I say, yay, I wanted to do that anyways. I said, I don't want to eat those. I want to eat the stuff that, that tastes better. The stuff that they're not saying is good for me. But they said to eat them because they're good for me, right? I don't know that they're good for me. I'm just a little baby. I can't look it up on Google. Is this good for you? I have to trust my parent. I have to trust them. Okay, I'm going to test my parent in this by obeying them. And it will take trust on my end to obey them in this. But if you're a parent and you tell your kid, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. And if they say, well, I don't really actually know that they're telling me the truth. So I don't want to eat my vegetables, so I won't do it. How much trust does that take on the ch- child's part? Absolutely not. And don't you realize that they're still testing you? They're testing you by their disobedience. They're saying, I bet I can do this and get away with it. I bet I can do this and my parents aren't going to spit me. They're not going to punish me. And I bet I can do this and it won't actually be bad for me. I bet That's what the Israelites did constantly over and over and over. They tested the Lord by their disobedience. They said, how far can I stick my toe over the line? They're constantly testing Him by their disobedience, which means they don't actually trust Him. Don't you realize that in order to obey God, You have to trust him. In other words, testing God by your obedience requires that your faith and your trust be tested. So when God says, give me a tenth of your income, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to sit back and watch that God will take care of me. No, you have to actively give up something in order to test God. You have to actively trust him in order to experience what he is promising and talking about. And I'll be very, very honest with you. For a long time in my life, I did not tithe. I didn't tithe. It's not that I didn't know that you should tithe. No, I graduated from seminary. I got a part-time job. Eventually I worked at a church called Lake Point Church, and I'll let you in on a little secret. I was not making a whole lot of money. So, my excuse at the time was uh, I'm not making a whole lot of money. I only have so much money in my wallet and in my bank account, so I'll tithe when I get more money. I'll tithe when I'm making more money. So, I would tie sometimes when it was convenient for me. Have, I think I have enough money in my bank account, so I can tithe this week. All I don't I have enough money this week uh, okay I'm not going to tithe this week and over time God began to work on my heart on this God began to convince me about this and I know that's a very churchy word but it's a way of saying God began to make me sad about what I was doing or not doing and he began to make me sad that I was not giving a tithe I was not obeying him I had to realize that God's not calling me to anything that he's not calling the rest of his people to. No matter how much you make, even if you make $10 per week, the person that makes $10 per week gives $1. The person that makes a lot more than that, they still give just a tenth of their income. It's totally and completely fair. But my problem, it wasn't, the problem wasn't that I wasn't making enough money. The problem was that I was not trusting God. Do you see that? I was saying, if I give God 10% of my income, I'll go broke. I won't make it. I'll starve. I pictured like worst case scenarios. I can't make it on just 90%. I need all 100%. I can barely give up a penny. I was being stingy because I was afraid But do you know what? When I made a commitment, when I said I will tithe no matter what, every check that I get, I will mark out at least 10% of that check and I will pay at church that week. When I made that commitment, do you know what I found out? I found out that my worst fears did not come true. But I also found out that God's promise to me about tithing did come true. And what is his promise about tithing? Well, he says it to us in verse 10. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I haven't starved today. I have more than enough. I'm less concerned and worried about money than when I was keeping all of it to myself. I'm less consumed by it. I'm less stingy. And I'm experiencing, not just reading the Bible, I'm experiencing it. I'm experiencing it and I can't do that. I can't experience that trust unless I give my money to the Lord and say, God, you can take care of me. I trust you. I trust you. I recently heard a sermon on tithing by a pastor named Josh Howard. and He preaches at the church I used to work at, Lake Point Church. And He said something that I need to share with you because it really stuck with me and helped me to understand what I think this passage is all about. He said, God, in 90% of your income, can do more than you in 100% of your income. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Are you saying, God, no, I can't make it with only 90% of my income. No, no. God, in 90% of your income is far greater and trustworthy than just you and all. Of your income, but that's going to take trust on your part, and you cannot trust God unless you actually give everything to God. Anything that you hold back from God is casting a vote for saying, I don't actually trust the Lord. Now the question our, pa- our passage is trying to ask us it's this question Who do you trust more, God? Or your wallet? Who do you trust more? God or your wallet? Now, the question is, how can we believe what the Bible says about God and still trust our wallet more than him? How can we say, I believe that everything that this says about God is true, and yet, I trust my wallet more than him. How can we say that? And yet, we say that every time we refuse to tithe. That's what we're saying, even if we don't say it with our mouth. And when we struggle to trust God, notice I didn't say if we struggle to trust God. I said when, because we all struggle at one point or another to trust God. But the Bible knows that we struggle to trust God because the people that wrote the Bible struggle to trust God. They know what it's like. And the Apostle Paul In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32, he asks us two questions if we're struggling to trust God. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, there's two things I want you to notice from what Paul said. First thing I want you to notice, number one, God is absolutely trustworthy. Completely trustworthy. You can completely trust him because he's completely trustworthy. If the cross, if the cross couldn't stop him from taking care of you, why do you think your wallet would stop him from taking care of you? If that didn't stop him, why would this stop him? no. God has proven, I have gone this far for you. Why would I just drop you off in the middle of nowhere? No, I'm with you forever and always. And you can trust me completely. It doesn't make sense for a God that goes through the cross for you not to go the whole way for you, completely trust for you, right? He's completely trustworthy. But number two, what I want you to see, is God didn't send his son for our money. He didn't send his son for our money, but he sent his son for us. Did you hear what Paul said? Paul said he gave him up for us all. He gave him up for us all. He didn't send his son down saying, where's my money? He sent his son down saying, I came that they all may have life and life to the fullest. In tithing... Is a way, it's an avenue in which we can give ourselves to Him. It's not as though if I tithe, I automatically have given all myself to Him, but I can't say I've given all of myself to Him and not tied. No, if I'm holding up any part of myself to Him, I have not given all of myself to Him, but we can give all of ourselves to Him because He has given all of Himself us don't you see that we can give all of ourselves even our wallets even our money to him because he gave all of himself to us why do we tie that's the question well here's the answer we hold nothing back from God because in Jesus he held nothing back from us let's pray dear Lord God you could ask for a lot more than just 10% of our income but God I believe that is a test it's a test of our faith in you it's a test of our trust in you and God we find it When we put our trust in you, when we stop trusting in our possessions, our materials, our comforts, our money, and we start trusting in you, we experience what you promised. And you said, test me in this and see if I will not bless you and take care of you and give you more than enough, God. God, you take care of us. Life is not about our greeds, Life is about our needs. And what we need most is you. God, you give us yourself. And if our eyes are always on our money, our eyes cannot be on you. But Lord God, you take care of us. You have a plan. You have a plan for our church. And you help us to maintain and support our church with our tithe. And we're so grateful that you created that. And that's your idea And it's been proven for thousands of years to be a good idea. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't neglect it. We would trust you in it. That we wouldn't hold anything back from you because you didn't hold anything back from us. And you proved it to us on the cross. We love you, Lord. We thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us, for taking care of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.